Good morning, New Life Midtown. If you guys feel comfortable, please stand up with me as we have the privilege and the honor to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning. I'm so thankful that you guys all were able to join us this morning. Most of you guys know this song, so please sing it out with me. Let's sing it. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen
Amen. Dancers to dance upon injustice. What a line that has endured, I don't know, 25 years. Beautiful song. I was thinking about how in some songs we talk about, and this is, this is going to be applicable in just a moment, we talk about how the world is shaking and moving around us. And it's a difficult thing. It's chaos. It's things that we don't want to happen. And then there are songs like this where we go, hey, the mountains are trembling and it's a great thing. And I was thinking about this juxtaposition in the kingdom of God that the earth is groaning for the children of God to be revealed. And then there are times when things, is, things are happening around us and it feels like everything is out of control. And I thought, how could this be possible? And there is one answer, and it is because God is the foundation of all of it. God is the foundation of all of it. And here, here's what I mean. There are things in this life that we as human beings have built up and we've put our security and our trust in. And when God is the foundation beneath those false structures, sometimes God will tremble and shake just a little bit so that we can see those things are not the real deal. Our trust is not worth putting in those things. And friends, I don't know what's happening around you today. I don't know what's happening inside of you, but God is the only firm foundation. Amen? We're going to read these verses. I have not been able to get out of Psalm 46 recently. So we're going to read a handful of these verses from Psalm 46. Let's read it aloud with conviction. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. St. Christ is my firm foundation. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand and everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad I put my faith in Jesus cause he's never let me down he's faithful through generations so got joy. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under. Not held by my own strength. Cause I built my life on Jesus. He's never 
Lord, we ask that you would fix our eyes on you, pull them up from the wind and the waves, the chaos around us, and lock eyes with us today, Jesus. Just take a moment and sit in it. We're not naive. We know that there are moments where it looks like God has failed you. But we are the people who live by faith and not by sight. That's not naivete. That's faith. It is God I've seen too much. I've seen you do too much. I've heard the stories, Lord. I've experienced it. I've seen transformation. I've seen healing and deliverance. I've seen you show up for people. Lord, you've showed up for me. 
you won't fail.
Praise the Lord. Come on, shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Oh, praises to our God. Come on, shout unto the Lord. Give him your best praise. Give him that praise that you give when you're at those games. Give him that best praise. Give him your shout. Come on, lift your voices in the house of the Lord today. We shout because we're victorious. We shout because we are not fighting for victory, but we have the victory. We are the victorious ones. Why? Because he died for us. He lives on the inside of us. That's something that we can shout about. Amen. Are y'all in here this morning? Hey, shake off your sleepiness this morning. Shake it off. Just shake yourself. Amen. God is here. He's in the building. What is it going to be like in heaven? Are you just going to sit there and be like, oh, wow, this is beautiful? No, I, I imagine myself breaking through those doors and just giving the best shout that I can give and saying, hey, I'm here. God, I'm here. Where are you? I want to see you. I want to experience you. Come on, y'all do better than football games. Y'all do better at baseball games and hockey events. Y'all do better. Come on, give the Lord one more shout of praise. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. He is our firm foundation. I don't know how you came in here this morning, but I want to encourage you that God is our firm foundation. I heard a preacher say that you can shake on the rock, but don't just know that the rock will never shake under you. You can be afraid of what's going around in the world, but just know that God is a fear. He is a firm foundation. Amen. Are y'all excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Y'all can tell I'm excited to be here. I'm excited every time I come in here. And I ain't going to change it and you ain't going to stop me by that sour look on your face. <laughs> Bless the Lord. I'm here to encourage you this morning. My name is Sadron Smith and I'm here to encourage us in our giving. 
And as I was thinking about what can I encourage the people about, I was thinking about telling the story about what happened in my life. There I was sitting in the, in the sanctuary on a Wednesday night. I'll never forget it. I didn't have no money. All the bills were paid. The month was still going and the money ran out. I don't know if anybody ever been there before. You had more month than money. And I'm sitting there and the, there are things that don't go together that's in the cabinet. Yeah, peanut butter, no jelly. You understand what I'm saying? You got, you got mayo and, and mustard and no meat to put on that sandwich. I don't know if y'all ever been there before, but I've been there. And here I am sitting and I'm wondering how am I going to feed my family with $5 in my pocket and $5 in my bank account. See, back in those days, you couldn't pull $5 through the ATM machine. It was $20 increments. And then I think $5 was what was to keep it open. I didn't want to close it for just those $5, you know, go pull it out. So back in those days, we would come and bring our offerings to the front. And uh, I had this game that I would play if I didn't have any money. I'd come up and I'd tap the offering plate, make it shake. You know, if they had some change in there, it, it sounded like I put something in there. And I kept my $5 in my pocket. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't know. I, I know y'all looking at me like, yeah, really? You did that in church? Yeah, I did that in church. <laughs> you make it jiggle. <laughs> and I went back to my seat. And when the man of God came out and he said, hey, we're not going to go any further. He said, somebody... God said, somebody missed me in the offering. Conviction struck my heart because I knew he was talking to me because he talked to me before I even got in there. And I wasn't obedient, but he said he gave me another opportunity. Out of this thousand member church, I'm the only one that gets up and obey God and put the money in the offering plate. Embarrassed, sweating like I am now, probably a little bit more. But I go to my seat, and I'm like, man, God, what is this? Before I left that service, God supplied all of our needs. We had groceries. People were calling and saying, hey, I have too many groceries that I purchased. My refrigerator and cabbage cannot hold it. I mean, that night, it didn't take a long time. God is faithful when you exchange your trust in what you have in your hand for what he says in his word. Amen. God is faithful. He is a firm foundation. All you got to do is just ask your neighbor, how has God delivered you? Amen. Like I said, I hope that encourages us to be a giver and exchange what we have for the faith in God. Amen. There are four ways that you can give and they're coming up right here on the screen. And we have a giving liturgy that we like to rehearse and recite so that our hearts will be postured to have a heart of giving. Amen. If you will. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen, amen, amen. Well, bless it. If you have your children, grab them in tightly. We're going to release them to go and learn and grow and learn about the Lord. And the way we do this is we say the Lord's prayer that he given unto us. Our Father, 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Children, you are released to go and learn of the goodness of the Lord. Look at him skipping. We still teach skipping in school. All right. Not to skip school, but skipping in school. Amen. Lighten up in here. Lighten up. Amen. Amen. At this point of our service, we welcome you in the house. If this is your very first time, welcome. Welcome to our worship service here this morning. Amen. Amen. At this time, we want to take the time to just meet one another. Meet someone that you did not know. You don't know how far that relationship can go. Amen. You release. Good morning, New Life Midtown. It's good to be with you today. I gotta say, I'm really enjoying being here on the big screen. I'm beginning to think maybe I was born for this. Anyways, if you're new and you would like more information about New Life Midtown, grab this card right from the seat pocket in front of you. 
All that this will do is gather a little information for us to respond to you with more information about Midtown. You can drop it off at the Welcome Center or you can scan the QR code from the top and eliminate this card altogether. I have two announcements for you today. First, Pastor Christie gave a fantastic presentation two weeks ago about short-term engagement trips in 2024. So everyone practice with me. Take your right hand and stretch it out to the seat pocket in front of you. Grab this little guy, flip it around. All the information you need is right here. Now for those of you in the front row that Simon says, and listen to what I told you to do, you look really silly. But everyone else now has all the information to go on a 2024 short-term engagement trip. Fantastic. Last announcement. This Saturday, Dr. Chris Green will be with us doing a seminar on trauma, healing, and the life of faith. It's a prevalent topic in society right now, and it's not going to be deep into the science of trauma and how we find healing. It's going to be more pastoral and theological about how do we live as faithful Christians in a world where many of us, and for all of us, somebody that we love experiences very real trauma. How do we live as the people of God and how do we pursue healing even though sometimes that journey seems to take a lifetime. If that sounds interesting to you, I would ask you, please block off your calendar. It's this Saturday, nine to noon, right here at New Life Midtown. I'll be there and I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. I don't know if you guys realize this, but we have the best staff in the world. All of them. Every single person that the Lord has blessed this house with is an amazing gift, and I am incredibly grateful, privileged, and honored to be in the yoke of leadership with them and in the yoke of leadership with you. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to see your beautiful, smiling faces this morning. If you haven't yet, turn to someone who's next to you or in front of you or around you and just say, you look good this morning. Just tell them that you look good this morning. Hey, even if you got to lie, it still makes somebody feel good to let them know that you think they look good. It's the truth. I want to say something very quickly about this special time that we have with Dr. Chris Green. For those of you who are new to the family, you may not know who this very special friend of ours is. This is a charismatic Pentecostal theologian, and no, that is not an oxymoron, Although it feels like or it sounds like an oxymoron, those two words do not have to be in contention or conflict with each other. In fact, when I was young and I was going through school, I didn't want to go through academic training because I felt like there was this war between training the mind and being alive in the spirit. But we're here at New Life Midtown to announce and to embody the fact that you can have the best of both. Amen. You can be full of the word you can be intellectually astute and sharp. You can be doctrinally um, accurate and proficient. And you can be alive in the spirit of the living God. You can flow in the gifts and you can be able to quote chapter and verse all at the same time. And what I want to say about Dr. Chris is I feel like he is one of the first men that I've seen embody this so beautifully, so practically, and so humbly. This man is a Pentecostal theologian that has been a friend of ours now for almost 10 years, and he has been in the house one to two times a year now for several years 
while we were in the process of being uh, merging our churches together, we've not had him in, but we just felt like this was a great time to reintroduce Dr. Chris Green back into the house. So he will be here preaching next Sunday morning. You do not want to miss that. But listen, this man, uh, there are people, he's, he's a professor, so there are people who pay money to hear what he's going to give us for free on Saturday morning from 9 to noon. It's going to be rich, it's going to be insightful, it's going to be healing, and again, if you can make it, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. This morning, during our pre-service meeting, so for those of you who do not serve in the church yet, see what I did there? Uh, we gather together as a ministry staff, as a ministry crew of volunteers that have been called to serve this house in some capacity, our ushers, our audiovisual, our children's ministry. And we gather together, we hear a quick word, and we pray over the service. We pray for you. We pray for the presence and the power of God to fall and descend on our services. And so John gave us a word of exhortation this morning that I just felt like was something that needed to be injected into the lifeblood of the entire house, not just those who serve. So, Sidron, would you come on back up here, man, and, and share, share what you share today, word for word, like it, word for word. Yikes. Well, bless the Lord. Now, I didn't say that one, but we're going to try to keep it on task this morning. Amen, amen. So, we just got back from Africa, and... The greeting that they have there is Saobona. Can you say that? Saobona. Yeah. And that word, when you dig into it, it means hello in the English. But when you dig deep into it, it means I see you. Like intentively looking and realizing and observing who you are. I see you. This is how they speak in the language. It gives a little bit more than just hello. It goes a little bit deeper. So just keep that before you. The scripture reading this morning was from uh, John, St. John chapter 1, verse 43 through uh, 49. It says, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and the, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Oh, boy, I'm going to stop. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed who is there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, I saw you. Before Philip called you and when you were under the fig tree, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. The point here is that Jesus saw Nathanael when Nathanael wasn't even looking to see who saw him. Meaning that I don't know who is getting ready to throw in the towel or who is saying, I need to see something for God. But he is seeing you intentively looking and watching you when you don't even see him watching you. He is all about you. There's times that I don't know if you like me and I say things like, and y'all don't judge me, okay? I say, Lord, if this is you or I need a word from you, then do this or that. Have you ever done that? 
It's like the fleece, you know, make it wet on one side, dry on the other. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't do that. I'm the only one to do that. Okay. Confession time. And then I believe that Philip was underneath that tree saying something about, if this is you, then say this. And Jesus met him right where he was and say, I saw you. He's looking at us intently to say, I see you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I see you. I see you intentively. Amen. So, so John went on to share, and this is one of the things I wanted to inject into the lifeblood of the family this morning, is that not only does God see us, but one of the ways that God sees us is when we see each other. And so he was encouraging us as a ministry team this morning that when we intentively choose to see the people that are walking in these doors, it is as if through our very lives, through our attentiveness and through our intentionality, that God is seeing somebody through us. And what I want to encourage you this morning, church, is for all of us to practice the discipline of seeing somebody with the eyes of God. Seeing somebody with the eyes of God. Seeing somebody with that level of intentionality, with that level of celebration, with that level of nuance, that level of depth, that level of meaningfulness and thoughtfulness, to not just be people that kind of walk in and walk out, but be a people that say each other's names and know each other's names and to allow that to be a part of the culture of New Life Midtown. Amen. Can you guys hear me this morning on that? All right. Because to the degree that every single one of us walk in that, then this entire church will be a transformative church. Like if that's just resting on me or if that's just resting on our staff or a handful of volunteers, it's never going to be a part of the culture. But if every single one of us say, I'll own that, and how simple is that? Right, sit in the same section each week, take a look at the people, get to know names and faces, and say their names. And then before you know it, your heart begins to open up. Before you know it, you're going out grabbing coffee together. Before you know it, you're in small groups together, you're doing life together. Before you know it, you might have a need. And it all began with the ability to see somebody that's sitting in the exact same section. I believe that nobody is in this room by accident. And so I want this to be a house that is deeply meaningful and deeply thoughtful and deeply personal. But that means that every single one of us are going to have to put our chips on the table and make that a, uh, a reality. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sadron. Thank you for what you carry. And thank you for your leadership in this house. Beloved, Christ is risen. Amen. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read the scriptures. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage. But we're going to be reading out of 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm going to summarize that. And then we're going to have just a very, very practical message today. I mean, you probably cannot get more practical than what I'm going to teach you today out of 1 Kings chapter 12 in the life of King Rehoboam. Holy Spirit of the living God, we love you so much and we're so grateful. Today, you have already met with us. You have encouraged us. Holy Spirit of the living God, we have felt seen and we have, we have felt the eye of God and the hand of God on every single one of us. And for that, we are deeply humbled and we are deeply grateful. And I would pray today that every single one of us in this room would experience the presence of the living God as the word of God is preached, that you would speak to us, that you would jar something in our thinking, that you would cause revelation to flow that our hearts, God, would be open, that our minds would be open to understand, that you would give us eyes to see things that we've never seen before, and that we would do business with you, that we would respond to you, that we would engage 
with the voice of the Holy Spirit that is speaking even now. Holy Spirit of the living God, speak today. I pray it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of 1 Kings, we're in the 12th chapter. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had gone there to make him king. And when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard this, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole family of Israel went to Rehoboam, and they said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. I'm just going to kind of pause and throw a little commentary in each of these little sections. So essentially what's happening here is King Solomon's dead. We find this at the end of 1 Kings chapter 11, and his son, one of his many thousands of sons, emerges as the next king. For those of you who are not familiar with who Solomon is, the scriptures tell us that he was one of the wisest men who had ever lived because in his younger days, he asked God for wisdom. He said, God, I need wisdom to lead your people, to govern this people that are so great. And God blessed him with that wisdom. And even though he had the wisdom of the Lord, we find out that one of the most tragic things in Solomon's story is that even with the wisdom of God, that he made decisions that turned his heart away from God. And so Rehoboam is coming up underneath the shadow of living as the son of the wisest man on the planet. You imagine that? You imagine being Michael Jordan's son and not being able to shoot the rock? Come on now. You imagine being the, the, the son of a, of a brilliant uh, thinker and that's just not your jam, right? Here you are. You are the son of the wisest king that has ever lived. And that's got to be a lot of pressure. It's got to be a lot of pressure. A lot of insecurity. Really, really big shoes to fill. What we find here, and, and if we're not careful, we'll miss this, but at the end of 1 Kings chapter 11, we find that there's a prophet that shows up to a man by the name of Jeroboam, with a J. And he prophesies to Jeroboam, and he says, because Solomon has done evil in the eyes of the Lord, I'm going to raise you up, and Jeroboam, I'm going to give part of the kingdom to you. There's 12 tribes of Israel And the prophet tells Jeroboam, I'm going to give you 10 out of those 12 tribes. So this is that Jeroboam. Jeroboam runs for his life because Solomon finds out that Jeroboam is gaining influence in the nation. And Solomon, even with all of his wisdom, tries to kill Jeroboam. It's like one of the last things he does in his legacy, in his powerful tenure as king, He closes the chapter of his kingship by trying to kill another man. Jeroboam takes off and he flees to Egypt. And when he finds out that Solomon is dead and that his son Rehoboam comes into power, Jeroboam decides to come back. When the elders and the leaders of Israel find out that Jeroboam has come back from Egypt, they recruit him to be a form of a spokesman as they go to meet with the king. Verse 5, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. And then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. And he said, how would you advise me to answer these people? How would you advise me? How would you advise me? How would you advise me to answer these people? 
Verse 7 says, they replied, if today, King Rehoboam, you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, what is your advice? What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back in three days. Verse 13 says, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and he said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, teach us today in the word of the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. All right, so I gave you a little bit of an understanding of what's happening here. We have another kingly transition, another kingly succession. Rehoboam is the fourth king in Israel's dynasty, right? Saul, David, Solomon, And now we have Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And so we're going to just extract some lessons from Rehoboam's life. And hopefully, I believe by the power of the Spirit, the Lord's going to speak to each and every one of us. Here's the thing. Number one, if you've ever been in a position of influence or responsibility from a large scale to a small scale, this message is for you. Anybody in this room carry positions of influence or carry positions of responsibility in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you carry some sense of responsibility, then this message has something to speak to you. Number two, if you're in this room and you ever need to make a decision, I'm just going to flatten the playing field today. If you've ever needed to make any kind of decision that would affect other people beyond yourself, this message is for you. Today, if you're here and you have found yourself befuddled, you're not exactly sure what decision to make and you're in the need of counsel and you're in the need of input, you're in the need of having good wisdom for the decisions, this message is for you. If you're here in the room today and you're a little bit older in life, this message is for you. If you're in the room today and you're a little bit younger, this message is for you. All right, I think this message is probably for everybody. All right, let's jump back in if we would here, and we're going to take a look at verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, and they said to him, number one, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to click into a little bit of a leadership mode here, and I'm going to speak to you as if you guys are all a group of leaders in the house. All right, so put yourself in whatever leadership space, and I'll just tell you, every time that I read through this story, I was reading it through a different leadership lens, and I was reading it, one of the times I was reading it really struck me as a father. So for those of you who have children, I want you to pay attention. 
So the first thing that we find is that the people actually approach the king. You need to realize that when you're in a position of leadership, when you're in a position of power or decision-making, and people come to you and they're wanting to share feedback with you, or they have contributions that they want to make, or they have an evaluation of how things are going, you've got to consider that a gift. If you're not secure in your leadership, you will not consider the feedback of people that you are called to serve who might be kind of under you in the power dynamic. If you're walking in insecurity in your leadership calling, you're not going to consider that a gift. What's going to happen? You're going to be threatened by it. You're going to take it personally. And that's exactly what we find happened here with Rehoboam. Rehoboam gets offended by the fact that the people that he's leading have an idea of how he could lead them better. But you need to realize that when people come to you and they want to engage in conversation, if they have a perspective on how things are being done that they think could actually make the job be done better, friends, that is an incredible privilege and an incredible gift that they've given to you. So the people approach Rehoboam and they have this assessment of what's going on. Essentially, we have to remember that most of the people here who are approaching Rehoboam are people that grew up under Solomon's leadership. And if you take a, a little bit of a deep dive back into Solomon's leadership, with all of the wisdom that he had, he didn't make all the best decisions even in the way that he led. I didn't realize this. I went back and I looked. So I thought to myself, if these people are complaining that Solomon had a heavy hand in his leadership, where do you see this? And you'll find this when you go back and you read particularly verse uh, chapter 6 through 8. And you find that Solomon was very heavy handed in the way that he organized the distribution of labor for the temple and for his own palace and for all the building projects that he had. So these people are saying, Solomon, you're, you're very reminiscent of, of Pharaoh in Egypt here. And what the author of Kings is wanting us to see is he's wanting us to hear the exact same language that the Israelites used when they were under Pharaoh in Egypt in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, where they went to Pharaoh and they said, what you're asking of us is very difficult. You're asking us to make bricks without straw. Like the, 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 the author wants us to catch this connection that's happening right here. Verse 4, your father put a heavy yoke on us, so lighten the labor and the heavy yoke. And listen what they say. They said, and we will serve you. We will serve you. Let's negotiate the terms here. There are times when I'm on my best with my children. And my children want to negotiate terms of decisions. And again, when I'm on my best, and we train our children to do this, we tell them, listen, we don't want to be a family where we just say, I told you so. Why do we? Because I said so. In fact, if you're ever in a position of influence or authority and your response to someone, regardless of what the tone is, regardless of what the attitude is, regardless of what their posture is, if your response very simply is, is because I said so, that is very poor leadership. It's what we call positional leadership. Do you know what positional leadership is? Positional leadership is the assumption that people should follow what you say and do what you tell them because you hold a 
position. Positional leadership is actually the lowest level of leadership. All position does, all title does, it just gets your foot in the door. A title and a position very simply give you an opportunity to demonstrate good leadership to the people that you've been called to. That's all that it does. Nothing more. It has a lot of responsibility. It has very few privileges. And where we get in trouble is when we want to maximize the privilege of our position at the expense of not fulfilling the responsibilities of our position and using people to do it. Positional leadership. Verse 5, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So this is actually a good decision that Rehoboam makes in his leadership. He says, I need time to think about this. And for a split second, you begin to think, Rehoboam, you're actually on a really good course here. Perhaps things are on the up and up because this is a wise course of action that Rehoboam takes. He wants to consider this. He wants to think it over. Perhaps he wants to get some counsel. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs that the person who advises many counselors gets victory. And so Rehoboam is taking these steps to get outside perspective and outside counsel on a very, very important decision. And what we discern right here is that this is the very first challenge that Rehoboam gets in his leadership experience. So verse 6 says, Then Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. It's very important. So Solomon had a leadership cabinet. He had a group of advisors that were around him. And I didn't do all the legwork to find out exactly how old these people were, but we do know how, Re- how old Rehoboam was. The scriptures tell us that when Rehoboam becomes king, he's about 40 years old. And so the elders that served Solomon, we're just going to, on the low end, they're probably about 60, but they're probably between 60 and 80 years old. And they were King Solomon's leadership cabinet. They helped him organize, they helped him govern, they helped him coordinate, they helped him lead and rule the nation alongside Solomon. They probably watched Rehoboam grow up as a little boy. And remember that these people, these elders that Rehoboam is consulting, that they were probably there when David was leading. They probably watched David make some of the leadership decisions that David made in the latter years of his life. Some of them were probably in the room when David pulled Solomon aside and said to Solomon, make sure that you kill Shimei. They watched all this, right? They watched Solomon in the earlier years of his life in humility and a spirit of teachability, ask God for wisdom, and they saw that and they thought, we can follow this man. They watched Solomon take the nation of Israel from a nation that was constantly warring with Saul and David. And in the golden years of Israel's dynasty under Solomon's leadership, they experienced peace. Peace. They experienced prosperity. They experienced economic affluence. They experienced global influence. People from other countries were coming in in the droves. Queens were coming in asking Solomon for wisdom. They were pouring out blessings upon the nation of Israel. 
And these elders sat back and they watched all of this take place. They were a part of leaders of Israel's struggle to find its place and to establish its influence into now they're a world power. I think that these guys might have something decent to say to Rehoboam when he consults them. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime, and he said, how would you advise me? Now, for those of you who like to nerd out a little bit, what you're going to find here, because I'm going to tell you, is that the questions that he asks these two groups of people are different. Notice this. He doesn't ask the elders what to say. He doesn't ask the elders to feed him their lines. He doesn't ask them for content. And very wisely, very wisely, the elders do not tell Rehoboam what to say word for word. Now listen, this is how you can discern good counsel from manipulation. Watch this. A good counselor who gives you wise counsel, father, friend, mentor, sage, business leader, whatever it is, pastor, table group leader, a good counselor who gives you sage wisdom will never feed you the exact words you should say. They'll give you guidance. They'll give you direction. They'll talk with you about the spirit of the answer. They'll talk with you about the spirit of the law. They'll talk with you about consequences of decisions. They'll talk with you about blessings and the fruit of life of making wise choices. But they'll never say, this is exactly what you should do in this situation. Be careful. In our younger years, when my kids were young, and I mean probably six and below, yeah, we're feeding them lines. We're giving them exact answers. When your friends say this, you say this, right? But as they get old, our role and our approach as counselors in the lives of our children or in the lives of our friends, it needs to change. It needs to mature in wisdom. We need, it needs to be nuanced. It needs to be more multifaceted. Think about these things. Consider this. And so this is what the elders do. Verse 7, they said, if today, watch this, you will be a servant. I want you to notice here. In these two verses, I want you to notice how many times the word serve or servant is used. If today you will be a servant to these people. Now let's just stop right here. This is the counsel of the elders. The counsel of the elders to Rehoboam is about the kind of man and the kind of leader Rehoboam will be. It's not superficial. Rehoboam says, tell me how I should respond to these people. They're saying that, you know, the, there's, there's too much month and there is money. They're not making enough money and, and they're working too hard and, you know, the conditions are harsh. And they say, listen, you need to learn how to be a servant, son. You need to allow humility to condition your leadership. You need to think about your philosophy of how you govern. You need to pay attention to the way that you interact with people. You're the fourth king in a very long lineage and a long future that is ahead of you. Think about the standard that you're setting for the kind of leaders that are going to come after you. This is the kind of counsel that they're giving. If today you will be a servant, 
This is another way that we can discern good counsel. Most of the time, good counsel will speak to our character. Most of the time, good counsel will confront us. Are you hearing me today? Good counsel will confront you. Good counsel will challenge you. Good counsel will convict you. Good counsel will invite you into the wrestling match, the difficult space of trying to work out the wisdom of God into your life. It doesn't just feed you lines. It doesn't just feed you cliches. Good counsel causes you to get into the yoke of wrestling with God. Rehoboam, today, if you will be a servant to these people, number one, and if you will serve them. Rehoboam, if the posture of your interaction with the people that you're called to lead is one of true servanthood and humility, these guys were before their time, guys. These guys are actually echoing the word that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20 and in Mark chapter 10 when he says, guys, you're looking around at how all of the other leaders are leading. And it's not going to be that way with you. I want you to lead differently. And then he, whoa, then he just drills this home in John chapter 13 when it seems as if like his crowning act of discipleship with his students is to wash their feet. And then he says to them, this really awkward feeling that you have with your master doing something that a common house servant would do for you. He says, now what you have felt and what you have tasted and what you've experienced, go and do that. Friends, if you're called into leadership, you're called to wash people's feet. Not literally, but figuratively. Kingdom leadership is the art of washing people's feet. Kingdom leadership is the calling to, at your own expense, enter into the thankless job of doing what no one else wants to do so that everyone else can benefit and can prosper. And if I were to sit down with you, and if I were to ask you to take inventory of the thankless things that you have done in sacrificial service to see that your family flourishes, to see that your school flourishes, to see that your classroom, your unit, to see that your uh, office environment flourishes. See, this right here is what separates the workers from the leaders. This right here is what separates the employees from the employers. This right here is what separates those people who are just hired hands from the people who carry an ownership mentality. It's the willingness to wash the feet of our employees, to wash the feet of our constituents, to wash the feet of the people that God has brought around us in our sphere of influence, even if it's never recognized, even if it's never noticed, even if it's never appreciated, because that's what kingdom leadership is. You do it because it's right. King Rehoboam, if you will be a servant and if you will serve them, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll go the extra mile, If you'll recognize that your calling here, your existence as a leader is not about you. Your existence as a leader 
is to see that the people that God has called to you, that they flourish, that they excel, that they succeed. One of my goals is that every single person I lead is that they go beyond me. I don't want to be the ceiling for anybody's leadership in this room. I want to be the floor. I want to be the one that's seeing every single one of you guys doing the absolute best in the calling of God that he has put upon your life. That's what good leadership is. That's what these elders are saying to King Rehoboam. Number one, be a servant. Number two, serve them. And number three, give them a favorable answer. It's a really unique phrasing here in the Hebrew. And I'm no Hebrew scholar. I just read scholars who are Hebrew scholars. But here's what they say. Essentially, this can be translated, if you'll give them a kind word. If you'll speak to them kindly. And here's the, here's the implication in this. Here's the thought that the elders are giving to Rehoboam. Enter into a conversation that has mutuality. You understand what I mean when I say mutuality? That there's, that there's give and take. You ever been involved in a situation when someone holds power and there is zero mutuality, there is zero reciprocity? You guys know, you know that feeling where you're trying to appeal, you're trying to explain the situation, you're trying to gain greater understanding, and all, it just, at, every, at every turn, it's just shut down. It's shut down. No, we're done with this. No, this, this is what I've decided. Oh, yeah, but no, 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 we're done here. And the elders are saying, and maybe they saw this in Solomon's life at some point as they watched him journey from a young man whose primary prayer, listen to this, was, God, give me a discerning heart. And the nuance here, you have to catch this, the nuance of Solomon's prayer is, I need ears to hear. I need the posture of my heart, God, is I want to have a hearing heart. I want to have a listening heart. I want to have a discerning heart. I want to have a heart that's open to your wisdom and your counsel and your posture. And I, I wonder if the elders saw that. And then over the course of Solomon's life, that willingness to listen, that willingness to discern, that open heart to wise counsel from God or even from his council of elders began to just get closed and closed and closed and closed. And now the next generation of leadership emerges and the elders say, Rehoboam, listen, we're not going to out your daddy, but listen, you need to be a servant and you need to serve these people, and you need to take the privilege of the authority and the power and the position and the money and the wealth and the name and the fame and the reputation that have been given to you, and you need to wash the feet of your people with that, and you need to speak kindly to them, and you need to not be harsh, and they will always be your servants. Listen to the way that the elders set this one moment in the context of a very long-term perspective. That's good counsel. That's good counsel. Good counsel will help you see beyond the feeling of the moment. And it will cause you to ask yourself, how will my decisions here affect my life and other people in the long-term? That's good counsel. So verse eight, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. And so then he consulted the young men. There's some really important phrases in the NIV. Who had grown up with him? Look at that. These weren't just young men. They're not arbitrary young men. He didn't do this random poll where he said, get everybody 18 to 25 and have them come here. 
These are young men. These were his homies. I don't even know how to translate that to the older crowd. These were his buds. This was his crew. This is the new ones that the scripture is trying to share with you. These are, these are his boys that he grew up with. And if there's any word that I can share with young leaders, and remember, the scriptures are calling these men young, and they're about 40 years old. Dude, when I read that, man, I got checked. And then I got encouraged, and I was like, I'm still young. <laughs> the scripture considers me young. Then I looked in the mirror, and I was like, I'm probably middle age. It's not, I'm not young. But in my character, in my wisdom, I'm young. In my ability to make wise decisions for the people that are affected by my decisions, I'm young, and I need the counsel of the elders. I need wise counsel. I need sage advice. I need people who have followed Jesus longer than I've been alive to speak into my life, to speak into my character formation. And listen, young leaders, listen, young leaders, please hear me. This right here, what Rehoboam does is equal. It's commensurate to just going out there and finding out the, you know, the, the latest leadership fad on whatever your platform is, right? YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. Like, oh, I'm just going to find what's working. What's working in these places? Bigger is not always God. Having a lot of followers does not necessarily mean that you have real influence. Snappier and snazzier and cooler and more appealing does not necessarily mean that you're going to make it over the long haul of life. Appealing to a younger crowd doesn't necessarily mean that you have influence with a more seasoned generation. I mean, friends, listen, there are so many ways that we can pull this apart. And here's, I just, want to, I just want to summarize this. For all the young leaders in the room, let me summarize this for you. If the ceiling of your counsel is no greater than your life experience, all right, let's break this down, right? You're making decisions about dating and you're asking everybody about dating who are your exact same age. You're asking people about money. Who are your same age? Broke. <laughs> you, wanna, you want counsel on money? Go talk with someone who has established a legacy of wealth building and wealth generation. Like, so for in my, in my context... I don't want to talk with young pastors that are my age or younger. I want to talk with pastors who have been in the game for 40 years, who have been betrayed, who have been beat up, who, who've, who've lost half their congregation and had to work to build it back up, and they kept their heart pure in Jesus. You've got something that I need to hear. I want to hear what you have to say because I know how to build a massive church. 
and I don't want that counsel. I want to live with a heart that is clean before God, and I'm hungry to know God when I'm 80. And you know, when I look around this church in both of our services, I'm seeing more and more and more and more men and women who've been married for 40 and 50 years. I want to hear what you have to say about marriage. I'm seeing more and more pastors, and I'm seeing more and more leaders, and I'm seeing more and more men and women who have walked with Jesus for 50 years. I want to hear what you have to say. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. And listen to the question that he asked the young men. This is really fascinating here. Verse 9, he asked them, he says, what is your advice? How should we answer these people? There is another translation that essentially says, what should I say? But here's the word. Here's the word that you have to catch. Can we put verse 9 up on the screen? I want you to see this. He asked them, what is your advice and how should... What? What is happening here? How should we answer these people? Oh, golly, if, if, if I were only, if I could just turn this into a big table group right now. What is the implication of that question? What is, he is already, I think Rehoboam had his mind made up on what he was going to do before he even talked with the elders. I think Rehoboam was suffering under the fear of man. The moment all the people came before him, there was something on the inside of him, desperate for the approval of other people. And so he went to the one place that he had acceptance and the one place that he had approval. And it was the one place where everybody thought just like him. It was the one place where he knew that he had power. Because he didn't have power over the people. He had power over this inner circle. Because look at the next phrase. How should we answer them, these people who say, go go to verse 8, go to verse 8. Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men, they're young, who had grown up with him and were serving him. Listen, the higher up you get in leadership, the harder it is to get good, honest feedback. Because there's a power dynamic. You've got, listen, you, if you want honest, if you're really serious about leading your kids well, if you are really serious about having an intimate relationship with your spouse, if you're really serious about getting the hearts of your teenage sons and daughters, you have got to go, there's a power dynamic. If you're really serious about building a business or leading a classroom or leading a school or leading whatever organization that you're in part of, and you've got some kind of power dynamic, you have got to go the distance. Like if you ask for feedback and they give it to you, you cannot shut it down. You cannot defend yourself. You definitely cannot attack them. You cannot excuse it. You cannot dismiss it because the very next time you ask for feedback, guess what? You ain't going to get it. You are not going to get feedback. And I've made that mistake. I've made that mistake in my marriage. I've made that mistake with my kids. Tell me, hey, when I did this and this, and I just, man, I tore their head off. And the next time I'm like, hey, hey, tell me about this. They're like, "Mm, we're good. We're good. You keep going on thinking you're being a great dad, and I'm just going to go live life my own way. You have to be a servant. 
you have to, in the deepest part of your heart, you have to want to listen. That is the greatest demonstration of humility for a leader. It is the ability to engage in a conversation where you ask good questions and you listen and you listen and you listen and you try to understand and you don't just shut down the conversation. And then what does, what does King Rehoboam do? Word for word, he parrots the immature, inexperienced, harsh and crude response of his buddies. And here's the end of the story. They all leave. 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel say, forget this, dude. And the end of the story says this. They say, what share do we have with David's tent? Every person for themselves. And 10 out of 12 tribes leave. Because no one wants to stay under that kind of leadership. Jonathan, would you come on up this morning? Uh, I know this was like really, really, really practical. All right, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, we, <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> yeah, we heed it. <laughs> Pay attention to the counsel that you're getting. Pay attention to the posture of your heart when you ask for counsel. Ask God for a discerning heart. Surround yourself with people who are older, wiser, more experienced, and more mature than you. And finally, at the end of all this, whatever measure of power, position, or authority God has given to you, brothers and sisters, remember, it has been given to you to serve people in the same way that Jesus would serve those people, to have their best interest in mind, to desire their well-being, to desire their blessing and their flourishing and their peace, even at your own expense, that's good leadership. And the reason why it's good leadership is because that was Christ's leadership. Friends, would you stay with me this morning? We're about to come to the table where we see this kind of leadership in action. Where in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he begins to tell his disciples, he washes their feet, he serves them, he blesses them. And this is what he says to them. This is, this is God's leadership. I'm gonna make myself low. And I'm going to pay a price that you deserved, a punishment that you deserved. But I'm going to do it so that you can experience all that God has for you. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story that Christ lived out for us. Friends, I want to invite you to come to the table this morning. As we break bread together, you can receive the bread. You can receive the cup. When you get back to your seat, we're going to take this meal and we're going to celebrate together over a prayer. Come on forward. you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again amazing
amazing love I know it's true and it's my joy to I want to invite us to respond this morning very simply by presenting our leadership and our influence and our authority and our power to the Lord. We just offer that to him today. Those of you who are volunteers and organizations, those of you who are spouses, parents, grandparents, those of you who sit on boards, principals in this room that I know, teachers, counselors. Some of you have military leadership and influence and authority. And maybe even right now you're grappling with what servant leadership and kingdom leadership looks like in a very top-down hierarchy type of environment. The Lord will give you wisdom. So Lord, today we offer our influence to you. We ask that you would cleanse it, make it clean, make it life-giving. And here's the second way I want to invite you to respond to this word today is, Lord, would you give us discerning hearts for good counsel? Give us discerning hearts. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to resist the temptation to only hear what we want to hear. Give us the ability, Lord, to hear the hard things. Give us teachable hearts. Give us willing spirits. Lord, give us the ability to discern good counsel from bad counsel. Father, I pray that every single one of us would have someone in our life who is willing to tell us the hard truth. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. We welcome it, God. We pray for it today in Jesus' name. Amen, brothers and sisters. On the very night when Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and he took bread. 
And he broke that. You can break this in your hand. This is a picture of God's brokenness for our wholeness. He says, this is my body broken for you. Friends, you may receive the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And then he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of forgiveness. It's a covenant of grace. It is not a works-based covenant. It is not a legalistic covenant. It is a covenant of intimacy and love. And today, the authority of Jesus Christ, I pronounce to you, your sins are forgiven based on the blood of Jesus. You may receive the cup. Amen. Praise be to God, church. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song of thanksgiving this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly Lord, we love you so much. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people today and every day of this week. Let your face shine on them. Let your goodness surround them, cover them. Let peace fill their hearts and their minds. Lord, I want to pray specifically in this blessing, anyone who is needing counsel, that the counsel from heaven would come to them. That would fill your hearts and your minds and lead you in the path of peace. And I pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, if there's any way we can pray for you, we have people here to minister to you today. Go in the peace of the Lord, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.